Today is PG-13, okay? Um, and I'm going to be talking about lust. Now, it's a difficult subject. Um, it's a little bit embarrassing. But I think, ultimately, there's really good news. And I think you'll find it helpful, okay? Now, here's what I want to start out. I just want to make sure. How many of you know what the word lust means? Just raise your hand high. You know what it means, okay? Is there anybody who doesn't know what it means? Don't raise your hand. But, you know, we all know, right? So what's interesting about this word is that Jesus is the one who brings it up. And to the best of my knowledge, he's the first one in history to say, this is wrong. This is going to lead you in the wrong direction. Um, and there's a difference between lust and love. Do you know the difference between lust and love? Uh, if you've ever fallen for somebody, especially a girl for a guy, at some point you find out if it's lust or love, right? Because love is selfless. The Bible says that love is patient and love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, doesn't keep score. Lust? Well, lust is about me. It's about me getting what I want. It's about me consuming, no matter what it does to the person that I happen to be consuming from. Love and lust are very different. Love is driven by selflessness. Lust is driven by selfishness. And there's a very different, there's a big difference there. Now, here's the deal, okay? Jesus knows that we're sexual beings. Like, this is like, it's not like God is against sex, right? I mean, he, he's the one that thought it up. You can just kind of imagine it back at the beginning of all things and stuff like this. And so he makes the first human beings and stuff like this. And he says, I've got a great idea. You know, it's called sex. And the angel said, what's that? And he says, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> and so he gave it to us with the understanding that sex is it's powerful, but it's fragile. And you can misuse it. And you can get really, really hurt by it. Uh, so the sexual desire, like God gave us sexual desire and so on. And, and we understand that. And there's kind of an equation that goes, so we, this is our mission statement, right? You have to decide, am I a mistaker or a sinner? Because Jesus didn't come to save mistakers. He came to save sinners. He's the only one that can change us. You bring a little plant into your heart like lust, and it will grow into stuff like, remember the ivy grew, and it was you know, tearing the screens off of our windows and invasive and so on. Jesus had two messages. The first message is, it's worse than you think. The second message was, is God loves you more than you'd ever imagine. First message is, you know, you were hopelessly lost. The second message is, Father sent me to find you. So it's good news. So here's the equation. How many of you remember the uh, Einstein's theory? E equals MC squared. How many of you learned that? Okay. You know what it means, right? And out of this came a nuclear weapon, which can wipe out a whole city, and also nuclear energy, which can light up a whole city. And that's kind of the difference. You see, when something is powerful, like sex or fire, it can go either way. 
And so there are boundaries, and that's why God has put boundaries on sex. So Jesus is the one that says this, sex plus self minus love equals lust. And it causes all kinds of trouble. Way more trouble than you ever dreamed that it would. Now, so Jesus brings up lust, okay? And, and he brought it up into a world where, especially in the Greek and Roman culture, you know, you could own slaves, you could own, men could own female slaves, and like, the sky was the limit, you could do whatever you wanted with them. You know, don't stay on that too long. But I mean, it, that, that's what could happen. And so women were seen as a, basically as a commodity. You know what a commodity is? It's like a car. You know, whether you rent it or lease it or buy it and so on, you buy one and you use it. And then, you know, when you're done, you either throw it away or you go out and turn it in and get another one. So that's kind of what a commodity is. And that's how, that's how men saw women. And women flocked to the early church because this was totally different. In the early church, you know, husbands are told, I want you to love your wives like I love the church. The wives are equal partners in the grace of life. Beautiful, beautiful message. Now, back in the 60s, probably not too many of you here remember the 60s. I do, okay? I was just a little, little kid, maybe, you know, very, very small back then. But back in the 60s, you see, we threw out the rule book. And some of you remember the little cute little phrases we had around this, you know? It's like, free love, you know? Or make love, not war. It had nothing to do with love. It basically gave people permission to mate like animals. It's basically what it was. And that's exactly what we did. And so we threw out the rule book. And so now we find ourselves in 2020 in a way, way different world. How many of you, you know, are raising young girls and you're glad that you live in 2020 with all the crap that's out there? I've raised two daughters and I'm telling you, it's scary. So... I want to talk about this whole thing because, you see, the, the myth that's out there is that sex is only physical. It's no big deal, you know? You're hungry, you go out and eat a meal, you know? And, you know, the, you just eat meals at different places. You're thirsty, you go out and get a drink. You know, sometimes you stop at the pub, sometimes you stop at, you know, Shopper's Drug Mart. So it really doesn't make any difference where you get it. And I'm saying sex is not just physical. Paul, in writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to a culture that was unbelievable, I mean, it was like this, not only was, you know, were women treated like commodities, okay, they, they would, that's how they worshiped. They would go to the temple and have sex as an act of worship. And it was crazy. And he said to them, he says, your body does not belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. He said, sex is in a different category, not because it's a worse sin, but because of the fact that what you do with it can traumatize your life and do all kinds of damage. You hurt you when you misuse this. So to the people who would say, you know, this is just, you know, it's just an appetite and stuff like that. Let me read, this is from Andy, Andy Stanley. Your sexuality is connected to your personality and to your soul in such a powerful way that is, if you treat it as something that is just physical, you hurt yourself at the deepest level imaginable. And let me illustrate that. Let me just ask a few questions. Why is it that when, you know, a child is sexually molested, it's not like, you know, this adult stole my lunch, my bag lunch when I was a kid. They don't say stuff like that. Stuff follows them all through life. Does all kinds of damage. Why is it that when a woman, or a man for, this, for that matter, gets raped, 
Like they will, they will go and they will report. They get beat up. They'll go and report it to the police. And yet they'll keep this inside because at some point it's a different category. And they'll carry it their whole lives. Why is that? I mean, I think we would agree. Jesus talks about adultery here, you know, and, and, and he understands how devastating that is. Even in the GTA with all the junk that goes on, everybody understands. I don't care what, what they're from. They understand this is devastating to a relationship. And Jesus said, this is where it leads. And here's the, fourth, here's the third question. Why is it that people, people's deepest regrets usually have to do with their, what they've done sexually? You know, as a, a pastor, I talk to a lot of people and stuff like this. And I'll tell you, when somebody comes in and says to me, I've never told anybody in my life about this before. It wasn't like they stole an iPad, you know. It's usually something that has happened to them or something that they've done sexually. And it's because this goes down into the shame corridor of our lives. And I'm telling you, it just creates all kinds of damage. Now, Jesus speaks to this, and this is what he says about it. And so I have to talk about it because he did, okay? You guys understand that, right? 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 Okay, good. I just want to make sure that I have permission to move ahead here. He said, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, can we agree on the fact that adultery is not like going to another restaurant for supper, you know, like fish and chips tonight, and you know, we're going to go Chinese food, you know, and we're going to go for Greek, and like, it's not, it's not, that's not what it is. Devastating. And when it happens in a marriage, especially if it happens multiple times, I can almost guarantee you that the marriage is going to go down. Because those are the boundary lines in just about any relationship. Lust ultimately, see, this is the deal. Lust, lust ultimately kills love, is what it does. In, in a relationship. Now Solomon, the author of Proverbs, says it's like playing with fire. Let me read what he says to you. He says, uh, can a man scoop a fire into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. The man who commits adultery is another fool, for he destroys himself and he will be wounded and disgraced and his shame will never be erased. I want to tell you two stories about this passage. First one is about me being dumb, okay? So back in a previous life as a youth pastor, uh, I was at this church, and th they were building a gym onto the church, and the guys were doing it themselves, okay? So every Saturday of my life, and the whole time I was there, they had a work day. Now, the problem with me was, now I, I know my way around that a little bit now, but back then I was clueless. So I was the gopher. Anybody know what a gopher is? It's gopher lunch. Go for, you know, supplies. Go for, you know, go pick us some nails and stuff like that. So that's what I did. So I walked in, you know, like, you know, what? give me a job. So they said, well, why don't you go around and pick up all the scraps of wood that are laying around the building here and stuff like this and take it out in the back of the gym and burn it. So I did. Problem is it was raining. So anyway, so I, I followed all the rules. I thought I'm going to need some gas to start this fire. So, you know, what you do is you put a little bit in the bottom of a can, not your gas can, but in the bottom of a can like this, and you take it over and you dump it carefully onto the, whatever you're trying to burn. And then you take a long stick with fire on the end of it and you, you know, reach over and you set it off. So far, so good. So this goes off, you know, and, and you know, blazes for about 10 minutes and then it goes out. 
Uh, oh man, they told me to burn it. It's still there. So anyways, I thought, well, I'll, I'll do try this again. This time I put the gas in the can again and so on. And so I walked over gingerly to the fire to throw the gas on. I had the stick already, you know. What I didn't anticipate was that there were burning embers down underneath that were still going. So I threw this gas, threw the can on, like I said, and it goes, boom, up like this. And I jumped back and I threw the rest of the gas in this can all on my face and down the front of me and my eyes and everything. I turned around and I ran as fast as I could back to the church. And I'm washing the gas out of my eyes, washing the gas out of my mouth and my nose and so on. And then I noticed that my eyebrows are singed and I've singed the hair off my arms. I have no idea how I escaped with my face. I really don't. My only explanation is that God is kind to small animals and the simple-minded. So that's, so that's the first story, okay? Now, what you need to understand is that there is a story behind these words. Anybody here remember how Bathsheba's you know, Solomon's mom, Bathsheba, met Solomon's dad, David. Anybody remember the story? So he's out walking on top of his roof, and he sees her, Bathsheba, bathing. Now, I'd like to think it was a, a drive-by lusting, you know, or a walk-by lusting, you know, that he just kind of, oh my, look, you know, a woman's naked on that roof, you know? And, and that she would say, well, you know, here I was, I was just up naked on my, on my roof, you know, bathing up there and stuff. And this guy is looking down over the side, you know, who to thunk it? Let me ask you a question. How many of you think that David probably noticed Bathsheba before she was taking a bath? Anybody think that that might be true? How many of you think that maybe Bathsheba noticed that David noticed her? Because you see, that's the way it usually works. So, you know, David invites her over, you know, to Netflix, Netflix and chill, you know, have a glass of wine. And, and this, was the, this was kind of the un, you know, unintentional step, you know, uh, to a mess where she's pregnant, her husband's dead. By the way, did you know that her husband was one of David's best friends? Like one of the mighty 30 that he had as, as close friends and stuff. And he sends this guy out and sacrifices him out in the front of battle so that he can get what he wants and so that nobody will know what he did. Well, he didn't consider the fact that God had watched this whole thing go down. And so God speaks to Nathan, tips him off as to what's going on, and he goes into David and he says, David, he says, you are the man. Listen to what God said. I anointed you king of Israel, and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if, I, if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? This is what the Lord says, because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. And they did. And, and it wasn't because, you know, God put the spirit of rebellion in them and turned them into monsters. They'd watch their dad do it. One guy lusts after his half-sister, drags her into bed, rapes her, you know, and then, you know, her brother comes and kills him. And, and it's just this, and then he tries to take out David and kill him and take over the kingdom. And then the baby dies. And it's this incredible, incredible mess. Maybe that's why Jesus, son of David, says, lust will take you down. 
Lust will drag you off into a hell of a life. You have to watch it. Now, lust is an equal opportunity sin, right? Like, it's not just guys. I mean, I'm right, right? Not just guys. For guys, it tends to be the eyes. For girls, it tends to be the experiences, you know, and the romance novels and all this stuff it tends to be, you know. The, and what it is, it's not, it's not just your eyes. It's your imagination. It's, it's what you have seen. It's the images that you've seen and the experiences that you've had that fire up your imagination and put it on, you know, overdrive. And that's what, that's what Jesus is trying to get at here. And what I'm finding, what I'm seeing in our culture, like you, know, you never thought before that women would watch pornography and stuff, but I'm telling you, it is becoming an addictive force in our world. One uh, pastor, one wife of a really well-known pastor went public recent, recently about her sexual addiction to pornography. And she came across it quite innocently. You know, she's babysitting some people when she's about 13 and she got into it. And I'm telling you, it went on from there. And it's not just about the images of naked people. It's, it's just this thing that we, that we bring up in our minds. And you see the way this works. I, you know, when we were purging, we got rid of all kinds of videos. Anybody remember what videotapes are, right? How many of you still have a whole bunch of videotapes around your home? <laughs> okay, that's good. I'm glad you do. Because actually, I had to go out and buy a videotape player because somebody from our family had all these, you know, images when they were kids and stuff. Not images, but I mean, you know, these tapes from when they were kids and wanted to watch them. So, but I'm telling you, this is what had, like, they don't sell them new anymore, to the best of my knowledge, anyways. I had to go to Stouffville and buy one Fiji. So, you know, it's double whammy there. Now, what's going on is that, you know, what you have to understand is that the heart is at the control center. Remember, we talked about this a little a few weeks ago. The heart actually tells the brain what to do. You know, remember uh, Woody Allen? Remember him? He says, the heart wants what the heart wants. And the problem is that, you know, the Bible says that the heart can be desperately wicked and deceitful. And that's what happens. Like, the heart will train the eyes to look where they need to look to get what they want to get. The heart is what pulls up these images and these, and these experiences from the past and brings them up in front of our mind. I'm telling you, if your heart wants it, and you don't stop it, you will find it. That's just the way it works, okay? It's the heart that says, you know, what you want, and says to the brain, do it, and, and it does it. Um, now, can I talk about the other side of this without getting maimed and killed? We all know that guys struggle with lust, right? We all do, especially in a world like ours, and I'm not minimizing it, and we'll, don't worry, I'm going to get after this and stuff like this. But I think, I think this is getting out into, into the world of women as well. And I, again, please don't throw your Bibles at me or anything like that. I remember talking to a guy a number of years ago, a friend of mine, and his wife, his, his uh, marriage was in deep trouble. And he said to him, he told me about how that his wife was really like wearing this really provocative stuff to work and she was out in front of people. She was at a restaurant and stuff like this. And he said to her, he said, why are you wearing that? And she said, and she said it more graphically than I'm going to say it. But she said, I don't, I don't want to have sex with guys, but I want them to have sex, to want to have sex with me. And I'm telling you, we live in a world, and again, mentioned where women are seen as a commodity. 
And I just want to ask, is there any women here you're, you're comfortable with, you know, with the message that's out there? You know, take me, use me, do what you want, and then throw me away. Are you okay with that message? Because you see, that's what lust is about. And the whole world of pornography is saying, this is what women want. Women want you to do to this, do this to them, and then when you get tired of them, to just throw them away. That's the message. And I'll tell you, having a girl that's growing up in a world like this makes me want to throw up. Because you see, you know, when it gets into your family and you imagine this happening to your daughter, all of a sudden it takes on a whole different, whole different. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, Ken, you're being a dinosaur here. Like, just you got to like get with it. I'm telling you. This, this is what the world was like. What we see now is what the world was like before Jesus. And I don't want to go back there. And I think that we are at risk. We, I mean, this whole place was at one point devoted to lust, right? The strip club. We, we get, have gotten letters from the girls that used to work here and said, thank you for taking this thing down. Thank you for changing it because it destroyed our lives. I'll tell you why. You have to do something to help your heart understand while you're dancing naked on stage. Here's, as far as I'm going to go with this, you've heard my concept of lures, right? Like what you do is you troll and you drag this behind your boat and you do this because you're hoping that some fish is going to think that this is something to eat. And then to eat her becomes the E.T., right? You catch this thing and you drag it in and so on. And, you know, you just have to think in a world like ours. Anybody familiar with the word skanky? Like, you know, what are you trolling for? You see, that's what you have to think. Because there's a world out there, and you have to understand also, like in social media thing, like you put your pictures out there, you have to, do you understand that like they're out there for 20 years? And it's not just, you know, if you're a girl, it's not just the cute guy that you're hoping that you'll attract. It's, you know, whatever slimy person, whatever pre, you know, predators out there. And this, this stuff damages people, and we, we just need to understand that, okay? Now, Jesus' words to this are really not very nice. So do you mind if I read them? You guys are very quiet. <laughs> Let me read what he said. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, how many of you think that Jesus is saying, you know, you just like have a problem with your eye, just rip it out. Like stick your thumb in it, you know, and push real hard and you should be okay. You know, just take it right out. How many of you think that's what he's saying? How many of you think that blind people don't struggle with lust? How many of you think that, you know, if somebody, you know, who doesn't have a hand, they can't kill anybody because they've lost their hand and they learned their lesson. You've seen the one-armed man and the fugitive, you know, it doesn't solve the problem, does it? Never solves the problem. The problem is the heart. And the problem with the heart is that you can't amputate the heart. The heart needs to be changed. Amputation is called radical surgery. 
I remember uh, going to visit a woman once, and she was going to have her foot amputated the next day. And so I went in, and I had to gown up and, you know, put the doilies on my feet, you know, and, and wear the robe and everything, wear the mask over my face. I'm telling you, I went in to pray with her, you know, and it was the shortest prayer I ever prayed. You ever smelled rotting flesh? She had gangrene. And it's under those circumstances that somebody would say, this is not going to stop here. And, and so I, I, would, I will go through life without my foot if I can still live. Anybody remember the guy up in, you know, the head of the Quebecois party? Remember he had flesh-eating necrosis? He had to have the leg amputated. It, was like, it wasn't like, you know what, I think this, isn't, this is hurting. I think I'll just have my leg amputated. No, it's kind of like, this is the last-ditch effort, and if you don't do this, you're going to die. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you may have to do radical surgery if you want to live. And that's really the question, isn't it? Do you want to live? Jesus is speaking into this, not to shame us. But he's saying, this is something that will get a hold of your life. And it will eventually take you down. Remember the picture? No, I think I went past it already, okay? See, you feed an appetite and it grows. We learned that, right? Everybody knows that. You feed an appetite and it grows. What we don't realize is that it will eventually take over our lives. See, this is, this is kind of the equation that goes behind this. If you pursue pleasure as a path of happiness, and that's why people do it. You know, they think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smoke up because it makes me feel better. Or I'm going to drink something. This helps me to kind of numb the pain I'm feeling. Or, you know, sex, I mean, promises all kinds of stuff, right? So we do it because we're looking, we're thinking it's a path to happiness. But if you pursue pleasure as a path to happiness, you ultimately lose both. Because it takes more and more and more to satisfy your desires. I think I have another picture here. I'm going to show it to you. Are you ready for this? Okay, this is amazing. See, addiction is about me. And it may start out as a little me. It's just about me, 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 me. And then it's about me, and then it's about me, and then it's about me. And I'm telling you, it, it grows through your life. It becomes all about you. It sucks everything into it. it. Sucks your time into it. Sucks your money into it. Sucks your focus into it. And it sucks other people into it. And over time, you've seen me do this before, and I'm just going to do it for illustration. Over time... You think you're in control. You think you're in control of when you watch and you don't watch. You think you're in control of when you, you know, drink and you don't drink. But over time, this stuff wraps itself around you, and it keeps wrapping itself around you. And you find out what Jesus is saying is you are hooked to a, an anchor that's going to take you to the bottom. Do you want to live? Do you want to live? And that's why he uses such strong words. And the problem with us is that it's not just that they removed all the pornography from the world. This was in a world, Jesus was in a world where they didn't have pornography. And he's still speaking to it, still speaking to people saying, this, is, this leads to stuff that you don't want to be in. Now, Paul, who understands this, he talks about the law of exposure. And and he says this. Let me just read what he, his words on this, okay? Because this is important. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. 
and then the God of peace will be with you. Anybody remember what happiness is? Happiness is being at peace with God, being at peace within, and being at peace with others. And what Jesus is talking about here destroys all of those. Let's go back to the fire illustration. Anybody know how you put out a fire? Not just dump water on it. You have to remove the fuel, right? It usually has two kinds of fuel. One of them is oxygen, and the other one is something like wood or whatever it happens to be burning. You have to remove, you have to remove the fuel from it, and then it stops. And Jesus is saying, if you don't stop this, if you don't stop it at this level, he said, you're going to be in like a five-alarm fire. And it will take you down. Now, here's where it gets messy, okay? If you and I were to do this, what would it look like? What would radical surgery look like in our lives? You know, might have to do with, you know, the kind of films that you watch. Might have to do with the kind of books that you read. I think for some of us in our world, it has something to do with this. What do you think? They call this pocket porn. Can I just say something like, like this is, you're going to, you might want to shoot me afterwards. You have kids, young kids, or young teens, and you give them one of these things, you just do what they want with, it's crazy. What do you think is going to happen? Think they're going to just, you know, call you and tell you where they are? These things are hooked up to a whole pipeline that has good stuff in it, but man, it has lots of sewage in it. You know, it hooks up, you know, the predators with the prey is what it does. And I'm telling you, you know, like if this is a problem, you know, like you may have to, you may have to say, you know what, I'm going to fast from this thing. I'm going to lock it in a box and give it to, you know, my friend or my girlfriend or my, you know, my, you know, my spouse and let them hold it for me. And I'll tell you what I do with mine, with internet and all that stuff. Lori has the passwords to everything. Like, you know, like you want to look through this, you want to look at anything I do, any, any place I call, you just, you just look at this because, and it's accountability. It's accountability is what it's called. There's a, a group called triplexchurch.com. Uh, Make sure you get the church on there. But it's triplexchurch.com. And what they will do is they will set you up with somebody, like they will help you to find an account so that somebody sees whatever comes across your computer screen or whatever comes across your phone and stuff like this. And it's a great tool. It's great help. What does radical surgery look like? See, what Jesus is saying here is this isn't just going to happen, especially if it's gotten to an addiction phase in your life. It's not going to just happen because you'll be dragged down again and again about it. If you're single and you're dating, you know, to be honest, and, and your dating is out of control in every way, what you need to understand is it's not like these, you know, these, all these images and all these experiences, you know, end when the relationship ends and it many times does. Not like it just kind of goes away and you just forget everything. No, 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 no. <laughs> you sit and watch reruns. And, you know, one of the things, you may again want to shoot me or wrap this chain around my neck and throw me in the depths of the deepest sea. But one of the things you may have to do is fast from dating. 
if this is so out of control in your life and not date anybody for a year. Write it on your calendar and just, you know, stop for a year. Because I'll tell you what, it'll give you a chance to kind of clean out your mind and clean out your heart. Um, see, you know, sometimes guys, you know, especially if they're single, and they, you know, maybe not you, but some people do, think, you know, I'm just going to pig out on this stuff because I'm single. It's not a big deal, you know. I'm just going to do this and, you know, and, and then someday, someday when I find a girl that I love, you know, then I'm going to walk down the aisle and we're going to have tears in our eyes and we're going to look at each other, you know, and, and I'm going to pledge to her my faithfulness and, and that, you know, all of a sudden, all the pornography and all this stuff that's been going on in my life, it's just going to magically stop because I put on a tux and signed a marriage license. And if you think that, you're crazy. Saying I do doesn't change a person. In fact, if you're going to just keep on pigging out on this stuff, you know what would be the, the best thing that you could do, the, the most honest thing that you could do? Take your girlfriend out, you know, and take her out to a nice restaurant and sit at the booth, you know, and, and hold her hand and, and say, honey, you need to know that, you know, like when we get married someday, that um, one body will never do it for me. Because I'm used to more than that. And three bodies will never do it for me. In fact, your body will never do it for me. Just so you know. Because, see, it, I mean, she should know the truth, right? Now, after all this sad and embarrassing and, you know, stuff and all this messy stuff to talk about and chains and anchors and, you know, and fire and everything like this, I've got great news for you. Jesus Christ came not just to forgive us for our sins. He'll do that no matter who we are. He'll forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. But is that what you want? Sin, forgive, sin, forgive, same old sin, forgive, same old sin, forgive, same old sin, forgive. He's a savior. And he saves us from our sin. He gives us the power to say no when we need to say no. And the power to say yes when we need to say yes. When David came back to God after this whole mess that he found himself in, he prayed a prayer, and I think it would probably work for us too. This is his prayer. Create in me a clean heart. Because you see, the heart is the problem. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and a loyal spirit within me. Help me to be loyal. Help me to be loyal to you. Help me to be loyal to the people around me. Let's pray.